I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Hello, welcome back to Vet Sessions. Today, our guest is Dr. Chantal Pinard, who is our ophthalmology specialist here at the Ontario Veterinary College. Hi, Chantal. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, so we're going to be talking about corneal ulcers in dogs, um, kind of hitting some of the high points. And But at first, I was hoping you wouldn't mind taking just a couple minutes to tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of um, what you do, how you got here, and why you love eyes so much. Absolutely. Um, well, why do I like eyes so much? Um, I'll start with that last part of the question. For sure. Uh, and... Uh, it is one of the most intriguing organs in the body. Um, and I always joke around with uh, with the students or anytime I lecture that uh, they are the most important organ in the body. I mean, the brain is an extension of the eyes. Um, and so the brain's just there to interpret what the eyes are seeing. Um, really, do we need a heart? Well, yeah, we do, just because it needs to pump the blood so the eyes can keep on seeing. Um, our it. legs, you know, our legs are there to bring the eyes where they want to go. So, uh, I mean, really, it's all about the eyes. Um, yes. And uh, they, even though some people will say they're not a vital part of the body, um, for me, I will... I will uh, um, respectfully disagree and say that they are a vital part. I know for owners, uh, anytime a pet has an eye problem, um, they can become dramatic very quickly uh, and they do have a lot of importance with their owners. And so when, you know, whether, whether it's a cat, a dog or um, a lizard or a rabbit or even a horse, basically when they have eye problems, um, owners are quick um, to realize that there's an issue. And, um, and in a lot of cases, yeah, uh, seeing them quickly is, is going to be to the advantage of everyone. Absolutely. And they are also the most beautiful part of the body, whether you're doing, you know, just a visual inspection or an optho exam. I agree. Absolutely. I mean, there's wonderful colors. Absolutely. Um, and you've got the eye shine and they don't smell. They don't bite. <laughs> this um, is a good point. They don't itch. Um, and so really, um, I'm... Um, I'm very fortunate to be uh, to be a veterinary ophthalmologist. So you have the best specialty. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I love being a general practitioner, but I think if I wasn't, I would I would have followed in your footsteps. Well, I mean, you get to do a little bit of medicine, you get to do a little bit of surgery, and the surgery I will always a uh, little bit offend the the surgeons by saying you need to be the ultimate surgeon to be an Ooh. ophthalmologist, because we're working under a microscope, we're working with suture that is you know thinner than my hair, um, and. And so, and we don't have a lot of leeway for errors. Yeah. Um, margins uh, are very narrow um, to non-existent in mm-hmm. some cases. So you need to be precise. You need to do it once uh, in order to have the best results. Amazing. Amazing. I love it. So how did you get here to be an ophthalmologist? What was kind of your career path? Oh, my career path. Well, uh, being born and raised in Ottawa, mm-hmm. um, I, uh, although I was from the French-speaking uh, part of Ottawa, uh, I decided to, to jump uh, and to translate everything into English and come to the University of Guelph. Mm. Um, and back in the day, you could do one year and then get into the pre-vet. Um, and so, bing, bang, boom, I'm in the, I'm in the vet program uh, at the Ontario Veterinary College. 
and um, my uh, my first love was mixed animal practice. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Yes. I loved the, I can't read a cow to save my life, but <laughs> I can read a horse very well because I was an avid writer back in my youth um, and dogs and cats. And so when I first graduated, actually, I did everything. But my perfectionism uh, got to me. No. And yeah, a little <laughs> bit, just a little bit. And so... Um, that's when I started to think about specialization and I was very good with my hands and surgery is kind of the the mindset I have is mm. get in get out cure cut uh and then you know on to the next um but during my internship uh after four years of private practice um I saw what the residency was like in surgery and and orthopedic surgery Mm-mm. no Mm-mm. the crunching of bones Mm-mm. I'm with you there. <laughs> no thanks. Yep. So, and ophthalmology just, I, it always came easy to me. Mm. I had had the ophthalmology rotation in my fourth year. I loved eyes when I was doing it in private practice. I was not intimidated. Um, and during the internship, I saw really what kind of surgeries could be done. And then I got hooked. I yeah. just got hooked. That's awesome. Um, but it is a difficult path because uh, ophthalmology residencies are not... Um, very uh, numerous yeah. out there. Um, and uh, so didn't match the first year. And then we got to meet at Alta Vista Animal Hospital yeah. uh, in Ottawa. And uh, But then matched the following year um, at Kansas State University. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Go Wildcats. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Good for you. Yeah. Found out what uh, tailgating parties were all about. Um, <laughs> and in the Midwest, yeah, uh, got a cultural experience at the same time. Sounds like and, it. And uh, when I came back to Canada, I went to the Faculté de médecine vétérinaire. So I translated everything back into French. Oh, my goodness. Uh, for four and a half years. And wow. was at the campus in uh, Saint-Hyacinthe. Uh, and uh, then a position opened at the Ontario Veterinary College, so it's a full circle. Amazing. Well, we're happy to have you, that's for sure. Well, I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Well, that, thank you for sharing that. It's always really fascinating to know like how people got to where they are, and I think it's great for our students to hear kind of what your path was. So thank you for sharing that. No problem. So maybe now we can jump into our topic for today, which is corneal ulcers in dogs. So I, as you know, I share your love for eyeballs, although more at the general practice level. So um, I'm hoping to learn a thing or two as well. So um, I thought we kind of start with our classic case. Um, let's say that he is an eight-year-old Shih Tzu who spends the morning chasing chipmunks out of his backyard and then comes in with a with blepharospasm, winking, blinking, red eye, and here he is in front of us. So assuming that, you know, the people are light responses are normal and he just has the red eye winking blinking what what should be our initial thoughts on this little guy well the first thing unfortunately that you said was an eight-year-old shih tzu yes i did yes and so unfortunately they're kind of a hot breed Mm -hmm. uh for getting any type of eye trauma yeah so any of the bug-eyed dogs the boston terriers the pekingese uh the pugs the Shih Tzus, unfortunately, are, um, shall I say, um, money makers in ophthalmology. <laughs> yes, so you're, pardon, they're your frequent flyers. Pardon the pun there, but um, yeah, uh, frequent flyers. And so uh, so that's the first thing that I would concentrate on is is you've got a breed that, um, that is definitely predisposed to this. And uh, 
in that respect, then careful attention absolutely needs to be taken. So it's not to rush through the exam would be the first thing that I would say. Okay. I always start with the neuro-ophthalmic exam, doing your your uh, pupillary light responses, your menace. Uh, well, start with a dazzle menace. Um, and then your palpebrals. And your palpebral reflex is actually quite crucial in these bug-eyed dogs because you really want to run your finger, your index finger, across the whole palpebral margin because a lot of them will have lag ophthalmia. So a lot of them will not close properly. And if you quiz the owners, they'll say, oh, yeah, he sleeps with his eyes open. And I'm like, hmm. Mm. And no, you can't fix that, but you have to take it into consideration that the ulcer may not respond to medication as quickly because that cornea is constantly being exposed to the environment so it's just something to to keep in the back of your mind and to potentially lower your expectation of how therapy is going to work for sure um and then your pupillary light responses where you're you're looking at you know how they respond to light and odds are if he's truly painful which odds are he is you will note anisocoria Mm-hmm. And so the affected eye will have a much smaller pupil than the non-affected eye. And again, you're going to go, oh, she's so into detail. And yes, <laughs> I am into detail because just like the palpebral reflex, um, if you've got a smaller pupil, that means that you do have a secondary uveitis and that needs to be treated to help um, actually alleviate ocular pain uh, and help with uh, the administration of medication. For sure. So that's the first thing. And that takes, you know, literally five minutes or less to do. So it's not it's not a very laborious type of examination. Now, if he's really winky blinky, um, odds are he's not going to be happy. And so um, doing other tests, uh, you will need to use a little bit of judgment. Um, If you're not able to even gauge uh, if this is a superficial or a deep um, lesion, because he's just not letting you near it, uh, what I would have a tendency to say is skip the shimmer tear test in that eye. Do it in the other one. Okay. And that's, again, important, because if the shimmer tear test is low in the good eye, Mm -hmm. odds are this dog probably has an underlying keratoconjunctivitis seca or dry eye syndrome, which, again will play into your therapy. So, um, and do the fluorescein in the good eye, do the tonometry in the good eye, um, just so you have a baseline. Um, That said, is tonometry really important in this particular case? If he's got a good pupillary light um, reflex, then I would say you could probably skip the tonometry. But the shimmer tear test and the fluorescein in the good eye, I think should be done. Uh, because maybe, hey, may, he may have an abrasion on the other eye too. We don't know. So, Absolutely. So there's that. Then for the painful eye, uh, my trick is grabbing the bottle of Alkane or Preparacane. Yes, I do that too. Yeah. Uh, because they'll have the third eyelid up. You can't really see anything. And they're fussing and mussing. And trying to put a muzzle sometimes can be problematic. And so, and yes, you can give medication, um, you know, as, as sedatives and so forth, like gabapentin and trazodone. But those a lot of times will take time. Yeah. And we don't necessarily want to reach for like the big guns like dexmedetomidine or anything like that. So alkane can be kind of a nice little shortcut, a couple of drops, wait uh, a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, it actually starts to work within 18 seconds. So, you know, really, I thought it was fast, but I didn't know yeah. that fast. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it makes quick. a huge difference oh. too. And they look so happy after you put it in. It's like, yes. you fixed me. Yes. <laughs> and then the owner will want a bottle. Yes. And then, I know. And then, the, and then you will politely say, um, no, <laughs> because repeated administration, uh, can harm the eye. Yes. So, 
Um, but for at least the examination, absolutely. The third eyelid comes down, you get to see, then you can do your fluorescein and see uh, what's going on now. I will admit that if you have a very deep crater, do you really need to do a, sh um, a fluorescein stain? And the answer is no. I mean, if you can see it, uh, whether it's a deep ulcer or a desmetaseal, you know, potato, potato. I mean, it's yes. not, you know, and the thing is, is the more you manipulate the eye with very deep uh, lesions, the more at risk you are of rupturing the eye, wow. which has happened to me. You do not want to live through that. Oh um, my gosh, it has not happened to me yet. I hope never to experience that. Oh, that's yes, terrifying. It yes, it did. Yes, it happened to me during my residency with the owner in the room. Oh, hmm. oh, oh my gosh. Yes, yes. You live and you learn from <laughs> yeah. those. Um, I'd rather learn from you talking about it. Just <laughs> yes, saying. Yes. <laughs> so, and again, tonometry, odds are, doesn't need to be done. Yeah. Um, and so then it's, it's really looking at the eye and seeing... Um, uh, and then going back to basics is going from the outside of the eye to the inside of the eye. And again, details matter. So you start with the eyelids. Are they rolling in? Are they not rolling in? Is there these fine little distichia? Is there medial trachiasis? And you're going to go, but he's eight years old and he's a shih tzu. Of course he has that. And I'm going to go, <laughs> mm-hmm. But again, it's going to play a factor in your therapy in terms of those act like little windshield wipers every time the epithelium tries to grow over the defect. So if you're amenable to it i will sometimes manually pluck the okay. distichia yeah again in a very cooperative dog uh being a woman we know how to pluck eyebrows <laughs> right that's true so <laughs> it is something that comes in handy yeah knowing fully well they're going to regrow but at least for the short time period that sometimes can help yeah um and then looking at the extent and this is where drawings uh come really into play now if you're a master of photography go for it. I think photography can really um, help document lesions and so forth. Uh, it'll be a 2D picture, just like your drawings yeah. will be a, duty, a 2D picture. The issue is, is taking a picture of a dog that's wiggling and is, is, can be challenging. I get the students to do it. They're much better. <laughs> also, they have better phones than I do. And to have it in focus. Yes. Um, yeah. And so the bottom line is, but drawing... Yeah. And even a Picasso drawing will be better than just words. Um, and so documenting everything, because if you're the next one to recheck it, fine, you might remember what you saw. But if it's your colleague, mm -hmm. they have nothing to go on. And so pictures or photographs are really going to be helpful. Absolutely. Um, and then once you've determined, so I kind of say there's three categories of ulcers. Okay. So there's a simple ulcer, which odds are this is the one it fits, right? Shih Tzu went out, came back acute odds are superficial mm -hmm. odds are there's no time for infection um and in that particular case usually uh maybe in three days uh you'll have fluorescein stain negative and then by seven days uh you know bob's your uncle that said, um, the other category, which is at the other end of the spectrum, is the complex ulcer or complicated ulcer, where that's where you see a crater. The okay. minute you see a crater, you're complex or complicated. Okay. And so if we're thinking about the first category, which odds are is what you have, because it's acute, there's no infection, it's superficial, yeah, it, it you know, fluorescein very, very well uh, with, uh, with fluorescein stain uptake, uh, then it lit up very nicely. Uh, there's no crater involved. Then you're looking for, um, 
If you can still get your hands on a triple antibiotic, um, that would be great. Although, unfortunately, um, uh, they're not readily available anymore except for compounding. Um, so my first line of drug is usually tobramycin. Mm-hmm. And so tobramycin four times a day. Uh, I always follow up with tear gel. Yes. Um, or it could be optics care. It could be Lubrithol. It could be eye drop eye med. I mean, there's a lot of good companies out there, veterinary companies that have, uh, but you don't need to go fancy. Um, You don't need the Optics Care EMS. You don't need any of those, you know, collagen shields or anything like that. Um, And the reason why I like uh, Tear Gel, per se, because it's at Shoppers. I have no uh, money towards this company, so uh, (laughs) full disclosure. It's okay, we Um, use it too. And so uh, the, the thing is, is, uh, tobermycin, any drop can be irritating to the eye. So by following up five minutes, 10 minutes later with something like tear gel, which is a gel, uh, which coats the eye, which again protects the eyes, and especially in these bug-eyed dogs, mm-hmm. I think can really help out. Then I would add just a, a three days of atropine, okay. uh, 1% twice a day, uh, just because you've got that meiosis. And by right. releasing that spasm, now some people will say, well, you do it twice a day until the pupil gets big. Well, owner might be able to determine that they may not so I just say twice a day three days you know and then odds are you're going to be rechecking this dog in three days anyway so you can stop it until then um I am getting uh I am being a big fan of gabapentin yes uh it is neuropathic pain because cornea is very much innervated by the trigeminal nerve so you absolutely have to address that so I think gabapentin um is good and there's research to show that it doesn't affect the shimmer tear test so we're good that way uh and then again because you will have a secondary uveitis it may not be ooh but uh your systemic NSAID not topical yes but systemic uh uh there's you know no topical corticosteroids no topical NSAIDs uh in in ulcers as much as possible because they will delay healing both categories okay. both classes of medication so i recheck in three days why yes the epithelium will rebuild in seven if all is well there's no dry eye there's no exposure there's no dystichia there's no nothing but why wait till it's healed to recheck it? Let's recheck it while it's healing. Because at any point in time, and especially in a Shih Tzu, mm-hmm. unfortunately, um, uh, full disclosure, there is a paper coming out, hopefully, uh, in CVJ um, that is uh, being reviewed right now. Oh, yeah. um, so it's not peer-reviewed yet. But Shih Tzus are, are the... Um, the top of the line uh, for the complex ulcers. Yeah. So these simple ulcers can turn around very, very quickly. Pseudomonas can eat through an eye within 24 hours. So, and you don't know that. You don't know that when you look at the dog the first day. You just don't know. Um, And yes, tobermycin might get it. It may not. And so the bottom line is, is you're looking at um, uh, rechecking it while it's healing. Because if you do get that crater, uh, or if it starts to wiggle and jiggle and you've got a melting ulcer, then you've got to hit the big guns. So I don't know if you want me to do a segue there of if Absolutely, it goes. I if do. It's... You know I do. <laughs> so we'll just go there. So the Shih Tzu uh, is wearing the cone. They're doing all the drops, but mm, they come back three days later and you're like, oh, dear God, this is not the same thing as what I saw three days ago. 
Um, so you are right to panic. Um, I was going to say step one panic, right? Yes. I've got that right. Oh my gosh. I have that yes. down. Chantel. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, and you must relay this to the, to the owner yes. that this is now a new ball game. It's usually um, pretty clear from the look on my face, I think. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So now at this point, uh, do you culture? Do you not culture? Um, I guess it all depends on potentially financial considerations. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if, uh, if we had OHIP or, you know. Uh, Say they're insured. Great pet insurance. Uh, then I would have a tendency to say, I think it would be good to culture just so we can document what's going on. That said, we're still going to have to make decisions before the culture comes back. Yeah. But then at that point, I'm going to go, okay, so we've had tobramycin, which is an aminoglycoside, which is very good, but still has, an, has a narrow spectrum, gram negative right? So then you're going to go, okay, what do I want? Well, let's go with fluoroquinolones. Okay. Other category of, of antibiotic. Great. But don't go with the first and second generation fluoroquinolones because it's the same spectrum. Fair. Go with the fourth generation fluoroquinolone. You don't start with those, you know, on day one because no. then you cook yourself. But now that you've had the tobramycin, now you can go to gadifloxacin, moxifloxacin, and then at this point you're gonna you're gonna have to ask some questions to the owner. Are we hospitalizing the case and doing drops every two hours, or are you doing this at home? I have some very dedicated owners yeah. um, that will do it, and you know, and re- you recheck them in 24 hours. Um, and then you go from there. And then at that point, I usually get my own dog, Abby, who's a bouncy Labrador, mm-hmm. um, and pull some blood from her. Yes. Because trying to pull blood from an eight-year-old Shih Tzu with crooked legs. <laughs> it, it's hard on the best of days. Well, it's an exercise with in a frustration. a fragile eyeball. Yes. yes. No. So get a nice, you know, bouncy, young, healthy Labrador, golden retriever, uh, pull 10 cc's. They're not even going to notice it. Yeah. Uh, let it sit for half an hour. Good clot. Then, and hopefully they didn't eat right before because you don't want it lipemic. You want okay. nice, beautiful, clear serum. Not hemolyzed. If it's hemolyzed, I would start back. Um, so a nice, good draw. Um, hemolyzed serum, it, it's not documented anywhere, but it's my own anecdotal experience that uh, the, the patients find it irritating. Interesting. Okay. I but did not clear, know that. Yeah. But the clear serum, they're like, whatever. Okay. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, and that, what you do is every two hours also. Because okay. remember, the drop will last at best five minutes. Now, if you want to be really extra and do it every half hour, fine. But a lot of people don't have either A, the manpower or the patience or the time to do this. Yeah. So every two, so you can do the serum first, wait five minutes, then do the moxifloxacin, wait five minutes, then the tear gel. You repeat every two hours for 24 hours. Wow. You keep going with your NSAIDs. You keep going with your... Um, the GABA. Uh, the GABA, absolutely. You recheck in 24 hours. What are you expecting in 24 hours? No miracles. Okay, let's let's just be realistic. But you're hoping that the mucopurulent discharge has stopped, that the edges look a little bit firmer to you, uh, that the... Um, and that it hasn't gotten necessarily any deeper or any larger. Okay. At this point, um, I mean, you may have also started to call around and see if there's a veterinary <laughs> ophthalmologist available, because some of these, especially when you get to a crater, may benefit from surgery yeah. to save the eye. But again, there's financial considerations. I mean, you're looking at, you know, um, 
they're not hundreds of dollars, they're, they're thousands yeah. of dollars yeah. to get uh, some type of corneal graft done. Yeah. So uh, it may not be for all, um, or maybe the patient has a heart condition. Maybe the patient is not good under anesthesia, so then we're going to have to keep going with medical therapy. Yes, every two hours for at least 24 to 48 hours. Then again, um, using judgment and so forth, then you might go down to every four hours and then uh, for another couple of days. And then as long as things are progressing well and what you're looking for is those blood vessels. So the blood vessels are going to be your your friend. Okay. Um, they take four days to bud at the limbus, so they, they're not quick. They kind of take their time to kind of go, do we really need to be there? Do we not need to be there? Oh, we need to be there. Okay. Uh-huh. And then, but they're still, they're, they're kind of, you know, it's a marathon. It's not a speed race. It's one millimeter a day at wow. best. Okay. So you got to take your patients with both hands and kind of wait for those. But those are definitely a good sign of healing. Um, they will regress once the healing is completed. Some of them may hang around um, if they're very big. Um, and yes, I know in human ophthalmology, this is a big no-no. Uh, but for our pets that are not necessarily reading the Globe and Mail every day, um, <laughs> I think I, I think uh, retaining an eye with some scarring is better than no eye. Absolutely. So. Yeah, for sure. So at that point, you know, you're just, you're, you can always reach out to an ophthalmologist to get some advice uh, and see now if your patient is also diabetic or cushionoid or has some type of underlying cancer. Unfortunately, those can be very problematic because uh, the body is busy doing something else and mm-hmm. the corneas kind of get forgotten. So with those, you really need to have patience uh, in order to, to get the healing to be completed. They just take that much longer. Okay. So it's also setting up expectations for the owners because you want this done, the owners want this done, and the dog wants this done. Um, but by setting out timelines and saying, you know, medical therapy can take at least a month. Uh, I have a dog right now... Um, that I saw in Prince Edward Island and I saw him in October and he is now I be basically two months later now is scarring down wow and he was a pug that was not an anesthesia patient by any means and dedicated owners and we got him healed he's got a scar but it's two months of therapy that now we're able to to stop medication now we were down to four times a day So it's, you know, and and I say four times a day, I don't say every six hours. Um, Yes, in the beginning, I say every two and every four. But once you get down to four times a day, it can be first thing in the morning, when you get home, uh, supper time, last thing before going to bed. Yeah. So those first three days when we said four times a day, I know a lot of owners are like, oh, but I'm working or I'm doing this or I have 12 hour shifts. And I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. And, and this is how we can accommodate the real world versus the ideal world of yeah. every six hours. Yeah. No, oh, that sounds really good to me. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. That's really, that's really interesting as far as melting ulcers go. Um, yes, I'll be phoning you and panicking. I definitely have the first step down. Okay. So if we back it up a little bit, how about to our little guy who we recheck him and let's say that on our, our recheck of our relatively simple ulcer, next time he comes back, he's still fluorescein positive and there's sort of that halo fluorescein effect where the fluorescein is kind of going under the edges of the ulcer that aren't quite coming across to meet. Um, how about that guy? So 
that can just be a good sign of healing Mm -hmm. is that the epithelium is migrating and has what we call an epithelial lip. Um, And so I don't know that I would press the panic button at this point. I would have a tendency to say as long as it's superficial, there's no, you know, uh, green or yellow discharge. Odds are there's a little bit better uh, comfort. Um, May not be as winky blinky, still not 100%. Uh, I would give it at least a full seven days before. So as long as you have some progression that the that the edges of the ulcer, not the halo, but the edges of the ulcer are getting smaller, then I would I would see where it goes. By seven days, though, that's when I would, and definitely by 10 days, I would then say, if you're still having this type of halo effect, we may have migrated into that uh, middle category of indolent ulcer boxer ulcer recurrent refractory ulcer um pick your synonym um and so then at that point i would have a tendency to say that um you know is your dog um hypothyroid is your dog diabetic is your dog cushionoid because although uh shih tzus are predisposed to these types of indolent ulcers they're certainly not the top breed which is the boxer why we Mm, call it the boxer ulcer um and so is there an underlying cause of why this is happening? And the endocrinopathy, unfortunately, is, is, a, big, uh, is a big concern. So, you know, I, I have diagnosed some, some dogs just, <laughs> oh, look, you're hypothyroid um, by having a corneal ulcer. Interesting, and, okay. Yeah, so it can happen. So the bottom line is, is if you're thinking that you have this indolent ulcer uh, scenario, then the big thing is, is... Uh, you have to do a corneal debridement and a grid keratotomy or a punctate keratotomy. Or if you really want to be fancy and do um, a corneal burr uh, is, is something to consider. And the reason why you need to do that second step, yes, you can use the Q-tips and find out how big this ulcer really is, um, but it's kind of like a skating rink. The epithelium is growing over, but it cannot anchor down because there's this skating rink. Um, there's this just very fine hyaline membrane. It's a mini sequestrum, if we want to be technical about it. It's a little bit of dead stroma, and the epithelium just can't anchor down. So normal healing cannot happen. So what happens is that by either gritting it or punctate or, like I said, corneal burr, uh, then you're removing or you're altering this membrane, this skating rink, so the epithelium, when it does grow over, can anchor into more normal stroma. If you don't do this second step, um, you'll be chasing your tail. Literally. I have experienced that myself. So uh, I actually referred a case to you fairly recently. He was a Shih Tzu um, who, you know, where the ulcer just was a cute one. He was adorable. He's my favorite, which is partly why I referred him. But anyway, we're not supposed to have favorites, but I must confess that sometimes I do. Um, Anyway, I was a bit of a big chicken and I did refer him to you. And I'm so glad I did because I got to see you um, do a debridement in our keratotomy. So tell me a little bit about your technique. I mean, I I thought that before um, I had a few misconceptions, I must admit, um, based on how aggressively you should debride and also how to perform the keratotomy. So tell me just a little bit. We can't cover the entire thing, I know, and we're starting to run low on time. But um, I I was uh, it was a really good experience for me to watch you do this. Okay. So the first thing I would say is if you've got a cooperative patient, then just topical anesthesia is all you need. And a good technician um, having kind of a bit of a vice grip on on the head. Uh, That said, um, butorphanol can sometimes aid or dexmedetomidine in in very... 
rambunctious patients. Uh, that said, you will go through at least 10 uh, cotton swabs. So the Q-tips wow. you have to go through because the minute they get wet, then they don't really debride as much anymore. So, and you are going to indent a little bit the cornea. This is why you never do this in a complex or complicated ulcer. If you see a crater, do not put a Q-tip on there because you might rupture the eye. But these indolent ulcers are very superficial. So you can indent slightly uh, the cornea to really make sure that you are debriding those edges as rigorously as possible. And yeah, the eye will wiggle and jiggle within the orbit when you're doing it. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Um, then, I am not a fan of the corneal burr. Why? Um, there's research to show that they are very, very tough to um, clean, uh, okay. even with autoclave. Um, and I know that everyone has a 25 gauge needle in their practice. Absolutely. And I've known some ophthalmologists too, uh, who have now reverted back to the old technique. And when you look at the literature, there's absolutely, it's still 85% of cases, fluorescein stain negative in 14 days, whether you do the grid with a needle or the corneal burr. So for me, I'm like, mm, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to be old fashioned and use a 25 gauge needle. Bevel up 45 degrees to the cornea. And I do lines. I don't do the punctate. Uh, I just go from normal up epithelium cross over the ulcer bed and all I'm doing is just feeling a bit of drag and barely seeing my my line now I am using magnification I have what I call the oh so flashable head loops <laughs> um and they look so good. the the head loops can have a plate uh, my plate for magnification is five I know some are three I do find that the five is better um yeah you have to get up close um and you just barely feel a little bit of drag you barely see your lines and you're doing multiple and i'm talking about multiple grid lines one millimeter for an epithelial cell is a huge distance so um i will grid in one direction and then we'll flip the needle around and grid perpendicular to whatever i was doing before and you know and if the dog needs a break the dog needs a break i do um put several drops uh, before I start, you know, a couple of minutes apart, I'll put at least a minimum of three to five drops before I start. Once I do the corneal debridement, I'll still put before the grid keratotomy, I'll still put another drop of topical anesthesia. Just, I mean, you can't have enough anesthesia in my opinion. Absolutely. I follow up with a contact lens. We go to our mm -hmm. local optometrist across the road, literally. Um, and uh, now you can get these canine corneal lenses, which, yes, they are better because they have the perfect uh, corneal curvature and they have different sizes that you can buy. I just find them expensive and uh, the contact lens, you know, from the optometrist is free. So if it falls out in the in the parking lot, well, they didn't pay for it anyway. But I do, there is literature to, to support the use of contact lenses. Um, and I do think that they, that they help. Um, now, some dogs retain it right to the recheck. So yes, I've seen that too. <laughs> and so if you do a fluorescein and, and everything goes green, um, then it's because they still have the contact lens. So it's called a drop of alkane and a Q-tip to roll out the contact lens. Oh my gosh. The first time I used a contact lens, uh, same deal. I just assumed it had fallen out. I stained that dog and the entire eye went green and my heart just fell because I assumed I had ruined his eye. But no, it was a perfect green orb in there. And yes, for sure, it was the contact lens. So yes, thank you for mentioning that. So yeah, so I, I get those phone calls, which yep. I'm, I, I, uh, I help them out. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, uh, 
And I tell the owners, if it falls out at home, don't put it back in. Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh, that's horrifying. Okay, that sounds that sounds great. Thank you so much. Um, okay, so then, so it sounds like we're going to recheck kind of on a weekly basis, you think, until and, it's healed, or what's your recommendation there? Yeah, so for the simple ulcer that's been traumatic and so forth, and we don't know if there's going to be infection, yes or no, every three days until it's fluorescein stain okay. negative would be good. So great. for the simple ulcer. For the indolent ulcer, which is the middle category, I, I do extend that a little bit more because, as I said, um, you know, there's a good chance, 85%, that it will be fluorescein in two weeks. So I usually say space out the recheck to seven days. And as long as you see, um, and this is where the drawings really come into play, mm-hmm. because do the drawing after you've created this new ulcer because that's your new starting point. And then in seven days, if there's 50% less fluorescine stain then you're heading in the right direction okay do not re-debride or re-grid within 21 days because it can take 30 days for the epithelium to anchor down so i've heard you know some stories where you know the dog has been re-debrided every seven days because they see the lip and and i'm like "Mm -hmm," because he's trying to heal and you're just going to chase your tail um And it'll be an exercise in frustration. So you have to let the procedure do its thing. Now, have I had cases where I've had to do a second debridement? The answer is yes. And a second grid? The answer is yes. But I wait a full 21 days before doing that. And usually these are the dogs that are not well. Cancer dogs, hypothyroid dogs, or, or very aged dogs. Um, then they really need that extra boost. And there's, you know, less than 5% that we have to go into surgery. Okay. Um, so most of these I will be able to treat, I will be able to treat with just um, the debridement and the grid. Okay, so last time I was in Optho, I heard you talk to the students about the cone and how long. And I know you love talking about this, so please tell us. Well, the cone should be on 24-7. And I know that it can be an exercise in frustration for a lot of owners, especially with the big dogs, because they'll catch you right behind the knee with it. Yes, they will. Um, And uh, and some dogs won't eat and drink. and And that I will appreciate and say, then if you're taking the cone off, you need to be there. You can't go to the bathroom. You can't go to the door or answer the phone you need to be there and put the cone right back on because one swipe uh takes just you know a millisecond to happen and then a lot of damage can occur that said a lot of these dogs especially the bug eye dogs are what i call face rubbers they yes. just love to go from one side of the couch to the other side of the couch and is, are they really rubbing their eyes are they rubbing their beard are they rubbing both um and they just uh they they just love to traumatize basically yes um their their eyes and so since we know that epithelium can take up to 30 days to anchor into the stroma um with these dogs uh and i think this happened to your little favorite dog too i believe it did yeah the owner thought the eye looked really good and took the cone off and then came back to the room and found him rubbing his eyeball and then yes things went downhill from there yes yeah so the moral of the story is is if you know your dog and you know that they love to rub their face i'm sorry to say but you're just going to have to keep that cone on uh, for at least 14 days after the fluorescein is negative. Um, and if you really want to play it safe, especially when they're not being supervised, uh, is to keep it on for a full 30 days. Yeah. And people don't like to hear that, but at the same time, it's it's so important. But they don't like to come back. No, they don't. And they don't like to have repeated ulcers. So thank you. I think that like I learned something. One of the many things I learned in Optho that day was about the 30-day rule. So thank you very much. 
So this has been awesome. Thank you so much for telling us everything that we can cover today about corneal ulcers in dogs. I wondered both for myself and for our listeners as general practitioners wanting to get better, strengthen our opto skills, continue learning about the most important organ in the body. Uh, what <laughs> recommendations do you have for that? Uh, for me, I'm, I'm very much by the book um, and is to have that systematic approach of you start with your neuro-ophthalmic exam and you don't leave any stone unturned. What I find, and I get it, um, we want to save money uh, in certain circumstances or we're not comfortable in doing tonometry um, or we may not have... Um, you know, confidence in uh, our equipment and so forth. But when we start cutting corners, um, then uh, it it just, it impedes your, your progress. So what do I mean by that? I get a lot of, of emails and calls about, oh, this ulcer does not want to heal. And my first question is, is well, what's the Schirmer tear test? And, you know, either they haven't done it or they've said, well, it was normal. And then I'll say, well, what is normal? Because yes, a shimmer tear test of 15 to 25 is normal, but in a corneal ulcer, a shimmer tear test of 15 is not normal. Mm -hmm. It should be 25. And so correctly interpreting your results, it's just the same thing as the CBC. Um, depending on the age of the animal, uh, you will have different values. And so uh, there's that. Most people will do the fluorescein, but then again, a red eye and they haven't done tonometry. Well, they've they've missed, unfortunately, a diagnosis potentially of uveitis or glaucoma. Yeah. I get a lot of, of scenarios where, um, yes, my cocker spaniel had a red eye for, for two weeks and uh, now it's it's turned blue also and we have a pressure of, you know, 40 or above and unfortunately uh you know tonometry was not done um we make these assumptions of unilateral conjunctivitis and those are very very rare um and so not doing a complete ocular exam and and it's taking the time to discuss with the owner the pros and cons um yes there is um financial restrictions there but I think if you take the time to explain the value of the tests, and if we don't do them, what are the consequences? So then you document uh, owner declined. And so if you do get that glaucoma that happens a week or two later, then at least you have at least offered the best, um, the comprehensive, and yes, it's the owner's decision. Um, but it's practice makes perfect, especially when you're looking at the back of the eye. Um, looking, you know, doing that fundic exam can be very challenging. And so I usually recommend, you know, all those spays and neuters that come in um, and they're there for the day or something like that. Now, I would do it before the, the sedation because <laughs> then the third eyelid can play a factor there. But it's just to, to practice. So when you do need to look at the back of the eye, then you've done so many of them that it's it's not second sorry it's not second nature but it's um it's certainly less daunting absolutely oh well, those are all really great pieces of advice thank you so much so thank you for joining us today this has been a lot of fun i really appreciate it and thank you listeners as well for tuning in um so you can follow us on instagram at vet sessions and if you have any ideas or comments suggestions for future podcasts our email is vet sessions at hotmail.com thanks so much